0: Well, first of all, thanks ever so much for, for joining in on this. And we pray that not only tonight, but the next uh, few weeks will be a real blessing as well. And if lockdown continues, God willing, um, if we feel this is being valuable, um, we'd like to continue as well. We'd love to talk, for example, about children's work, and about reaching cults and people of different religions, etc. But let's see how things go. And we really, really would appreciate your feedback. And I don't quite understand it, but I think some of you, if you want to send a is it called a chat feed or something? But anyway, you can send a message and um, we'll, we'll try and cope with that as we're going along. Jonathan's already mentioned books. If I can just mention one little booklet that if you send me your postal address, I'll send to you free of charge in the post. My email address is roger at com. So it's very straightforward. And if you send me your postal address, this little thing from um, uh, J.C. Ryle, um, it's chapter two of his great book, of Christian leaders of the 18th century and JC Ryle looks at what it was that God used to bring about revival in the 1700s and it's very challenging and very pertinent for today. Uh, Banner of Truth have reprinted this chapter in a booklet form, and I have copies. It really would be a privilege to send you one. I'll probably make sure I get my 100 grams worth of stuff in the envelope, so there'll be other booklets as well. But just send me your, your postal address, and I won't pest you again, but I will send you that. Um, and talking about books, a couple of years ago, I was reading this book. I, I love Victorian biographies, R.C. Morgan. His life and times, most of you probably never heard of R.C. Morgan, but some of you may have heard of Marshall Morgan and Scott, and they were great Christian publishers. And um, Morgan was the Morgan of Marshall Morgan and Scott, as well as being a publisher of books. He was an editor of a Christian newspaper. He was married. He had three sons, one who died in infancy, and then there were two others. One of them, George, wrote the biography of his father. So that leaves just one other son. When that son was 16 or 17 years of age, he was swimming in a river in London. It wasn't the River Thames, I've forgotten which it was now, but um, he got into trouble. There was a sign that said, danger, currents, do not swim. But some mischievous lads had taken it down. So he took off his clothes and went for a swim in the river. But he got into trouble. He actually put out his hand to be rescued. And those guys who'd taken down the, the sign just kicked his hand and he drowned. Well, of course, news eventually got to R.C. Morgan, the boy's father, who was at the editorial office of the newspaper in London, and he was heartbroken. He quickly got, I suppose, into a carriage in those days and made his way to the place where his son had drowned, and the police were there trying to dredge the river and find the boy, and the crowd had gathered, of course, and um, eventually they did pull up the body of the boy, and they put it down in front of Uh, The father and the crowd, on just on the the river side. And then the father with the boy's body in front of him stood and spoke to the crowd and said, I want you to know this, this, this is my son. And he was heartbroken. You can imagine it. But then he said, but I also want you to know my son was a Christian. He trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. And he's now with his Lord in heaven. And he went on to preach the gospel. Well, it's a very powerful story. It's interesting. I think this book is spoiled a little bit with lots of footnotes. And usually I don't bother with footnotes. But anyway, I read the one that was there. And it just said that George Morgan, the, the, the lost son's brother, 20 years after went into a haberdashery shop and was buying something and started to witness to the chap behind the counter who said to George, uh, George Morgan, oh, I am a Christian. So George Morgan said, well, well he, uh, how long have you been a Christian? And um, he said, I've been a Christian 20 years. And so George said, well, how did that happen? And he said, 20 years ago, I was with a crowd by a riverside watching the police dredge the river for a, a, a boy and they found his body. And do you know, the father stood in front of the boy's body and preached the gospel. And there and then I was converted to Jesus Christ. It's a lovely story. The point I want to make of that is, yes, the greatest use of every day is to share the gospel. I'm convinced of that, and I want to try and get that across tonight. And the greatest use of every occurrence of life is to share the gospel. And we are finding ourselves at the moment in very, very strange times. I don't think any of us have ever faced anything like this before. But I stress again, the greatest use of every occurrence of life is to share the gospel. Let me read a few words from Mark's gospel, chapter four. We're going to look at them. So if you've got a Bible, you might turn to it and keep it open at verse 26. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens immediately, he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now, I want to draw from that lovely parable, of course, is only found in Mark's gospel, four straightforward truths about personal evangelism. And the first one, sorry, I've been told that if I go on too long without breaks, etc., and chats, people will switch off. Well, don't switch off. But uh, I want to make four simple points. So the first one is very simple. So don't switch off. But I just want to say we need, if we're going to be sowing, to get the right seed. Evangelism, or if you want, the kingdom of God, is not about giving porridge to the poor, great as that may be, or flip-flops to the inebriated on a Friday or a Saturday night, great as that might be. The gospel work is about getting the, the word of God into the hearts of and the minds of men and women. The kingdom of God is about getting the word of God into the hearts and minds of men and women. I have a sentence that I often often use, but evangelism is preaching the gospel to non-Christians who are listening. But it has to be the gospel. It's been my privilege over the years to to speak at many university missions. Um, The last one I was involved in this year was um, in Surrey, Guildford University in Surrey. And it was a great, great week. What I found very striking was that several students, at least 10 came to me but they also went to the other speaker martin povey Uh, we were working together and they said to us it was great to have had the gospel preached this week because last year we had a mission and we never had the gospel the tragedy is that that's the third university mission in a row where that has happened to me so you say well what are they preaching They're really preaching apologetics. Now, don't misunderstand. I believe we should be able to explain why we believe what we believe. And I think there are good reasons for believing in the the infallibility of the scripture, the the fact that Jesus has lived and died and risen and ascended. I believe there's great evidence. And by all means, let's share this evidence and let's let's argue the point. But the power in our message is not in the apologetic, but in the proclamation of Christ and him crucified. If you go to Luke's gospel, chapter 24, where the Lord Jesus is giving the great commission to his disciples. Luke's gospel tells us exactly what is this gospel that we're to be proclaiming. We know we're to go into all the world and preach and teach. We know we're to preach to every creature. We know that the Lord will be with us. The other gospel writers tell us that. But Luke specifically says this. Then Jesus said to them, thus it is written, thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission or forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So there are four basic ingredients to our message. First, that Christ would suffer. And of course, when he suffered, our sin was laid on Jesus. He bore our sin in his own body on the tree. We preach a crucified Christ, but not just a crucified Christ. We preach that he rose again the third day. (laughs) A preacher was once asked, which is the greatest thing, the death of Christ or the resurrection of Christ? And very wisely, he replied, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. They're two sides of the same coin. He died. He bore our sin. And he rose from the dead. And then we preach repentance. It's not easy to proclaim that people need to turn from their own sinful way and turn to God. But God commands all men, all women everywhere. Some people say, oh, no, repentance is a gift from God. No, no, no. God commands us to repent and to believe, and then we receive forgiveness of sins. Four basic ingredients, and I hope if you read any of my tracks, you'll find those four ingredients in all of them. Or if you ever hear a gospel message from me, you'll, you'll get those four basic ingredients, that he died for us, he bore our sin, he rose from the dead, he commands us to repent and receive forgiveness. And when I talk to people about the Lord, I want to get over these truths. The Great Commission is not to talk theology over a latte but it is to go into all the world and preach the gospel and to me and i'm sure the reason you're with us tonight is you feel the same way i I just feel it is crucial because the eternal destiny of men and women depends on what they do with the lord jesus christ i i have an older brother who's not a christian And I've spoken to him many times, of course. I've written to him many times. He's been to many, many, many evangelistic meetings. But again, just 10 days ago, I thought, I've got to write to him again. I can't bear the thought that my brother could suddenly be taken and, of course, taken into a lost eternity. In 100 years from now, everybody we know will be in eternity, either with the Lord or lost forever in hell and and i find that frightening but when we when we proclaim christ and him crucified there is a power in it do you remember romans 1 verse 16 i'm not ashamed of the gospel says paul it is the power of god unto salvation so the gospel is not just a philosophy to be discussed or an idea to be debated it is a power to be unleashed And when we speak about Christ and him crucified, there is a power there. Anyway, let's move on. Secondly, we get the right seed, then we need to scatter it and sow it. So we have this gospel seed, this tiny little seed, which is sown into good soil, can bring forth much fruit. We have this, this tiny little seed and our responsibility is to is to scatter it as widely as we can. And, you, of course, you, you never know where it's going to end up. Apparently, Rico Tice said to a friend of mine, it's like hitting a um, a, a white snooker ball and it hits the the, the triangle of red. So whew, you never know where they're going to go. I think that's right. I've, I, I'm not really a snooker player. But you've got the idea. We scatter gospel seed. We have no idea where it will go. I love Ecclesiastes 11.6. In the morning, sow your seed. And in the evening, do not withhold your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good, and how true that is. Now, um, Jonathan mentioned um, intentionality, or the, the book Intentional, this idea of going out into every day with a sense of intentionality. Years ago, I read, when well, I was only 17, so it is a long time ago now, I read D.L. Moody's biography and learned that here was this man who preached to thousands He never let a day go by without speaking to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a 17 year old, I said, with God's help, I'm going to try and do the same. And I found that a tremendous blessing. Let me show you something. This is, well, it's a wallet. You can probably see that. And it's a very ordinary one in some ways, except it's just perfectly designed for tracks. It's got a pocket there and a pocket there. And they always have hidden pockets, one there and one there. And then it's got... An area there and another area there and there and there and then it's got place for smaller cards and, and, uh, do you know this goes with me everywhere? It's the greatest tool I know. So if ever I'm, 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 I'm getting into conversation with somebody, I can eventually just pull out my, my, um, my, my wallet and offer them a Christian leaflet. But of course we're living in very different days now. So what do I do? I want to speak to somebody every day about the Lord. Well, I've been, i've been writing letters, and I just recommend it i 've been writing letters I said one a day, but to be honest, um, I started doing many, many more than that though now i 'm struggling a little bit writing letters to non Christians just short postcard sort of notes to to non Christians some of them i 've used this this uh, postcard with the, the wonderful verses from Habakkuk on that uh, but others that wouldn 't be appropriate it 's just been a note, and I, I write and say. Whatever I want to say, thinking of you, praying for you, or oh, I'm very grateful to you, and um, please find enclosed. And I've been putting in, in of course, this um, coronavirus tract. But well, I think I've sent certainly over a hundred of them now. Um, I, I was thinking I've done one or two today. I was thinking, who do I do tomorrow? And uh, anyway. I was having Weetabix this morning and I noticed on the side of the Weetabix box, it says there's a customer services address and for a Yorkshireman, this is wonderful. Look, it's it's a free post address, so it's not costing me anything. So I've written to Weetabix to say thank you for providing the food for me, which I'm enjoying so much during this lockdown. Please find enclosed, etc. Well, there are all sorts of people. I've written to the local supermarket managers, my surgery, the local police station. Thank you for all you're doing, etc., etc. In fact, just before talking now, I got a phone call from the local um uh, care home and I sent one to them and the manageress phoned me up just to say do you know that was so encouraging it's just trying to have this intentional attitude of how can we how can we share the most wonderful message in the in the world which is also the most urgent message and of course we want to do it with friends and family we have to as it were earn the right to speak with them don't we so my brother is very wary about writing again but I thought I just have to But with neighbours, you pray and you wait for the right moments. But if you wait too long, it can be very hard to to make and to take the right moments. With others that I'll never see again, I I use tracks as a sort of door. uh, Well, the key to open the door of conversation. So I might just, you know, I'm buying petrol, for example. I might just say, I wonder if I could before I go to give you a little Christian leaflet to read, I think you'd really find it encouraging. And I might just say, it, it just explains the ordinary Christian message. And I look down as I'm saying this, I say how Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then I look up and I look at them and I say, and I'm sure you'd agree, you and I qualify. And you'd be amazed how many at that point have looked down and said, hmm, well, I do. So I, I, I don't know, maybe you'd like to go in your chat room and just express to Naomi who'll be receiving them what are your greatest fears what what holds us back from this what what inhibits us from speaking it is an urgent message but it's a wonderful glorious message I wonder why we are so fearful at times of passing on uh, the good news as well I I send out evangelistic books Uh, of course Christmas birthdays are wonderful opportunities for that Easter at Christmas, you know you're giving a tip to the postman or the dustman or whoever it is. Well, why not wrap a little box of chocolates with a Christian book and give it to them? Or if you want to put a fiver or a tenner or whatever it is, up north it'd be £2.50. But down south a tenner and uh, and and give it as a thank you um, tip at the end of the year or whatever. Um, I always as well, interestingly, it's different now, but when I'm out and about, I always carry with me uh, a little New Testament is <laughs> the new testament alec Matea, who went to be with the lord a little while ago i pulled out a new testament when he was there and he said roger a sword without a handle like, oh dear <laughs> but a big bible is a big thing to carry around the new testament yeah that's uh and as much as i can when i'm talking to people i seek to open the bible and show them to me i get them to read look i wonder if i can just show you something here you ask this question can i just and they might say oh, i don't believe the bible and i said oh, yeah i realize that but i do can i just show you this And I want them to read the scripture. Of course, if I can then as well, give them the Bible. I I will do. They're all opportunities. Personal work, though, frankly, is hard work until they ask a question. Now, again, you might just go on the, the, the chat room and you type in what you think is the question that you get asked most frequently. I know what it is for me, and we might come to that later on. And we almost need to work out some of the answers that we will give to the questions we most frequently are asked, because there are only actually about seven or eight that people ask. So so think through, how do I answer that? Now, Trevor Knight, um, whom I mentioned earlier, he taught me a very good principle. He said, whenever somebody asks a question, think of the RH principle. Is that a red herring or a, a real hindrance? If somebody said to me, for example, well, what about people who've never heard? And I'm amazed how many people have asked me that. For most of them, it's a red herring. But if they're coming from, I don't know, country, say Papua New Guinea, where there are tribal groups that have never heard and they're conscious, aware of them, it might be a real hindrance. And so if it's a red herring, I try and park that question. Say, well, it's an interesting question. I wonder if we can leave it for the moment. I'll come back to it later on. But the main thing is I want you to try and, et cetera but if it's a, a real hindrance I, I think as much as we can uh we have to tackle it and do you know personal work is hard work until i ask a, a question that might be the most antagonistic question for example i'm saying to somebody you know that they they they, they need to trust the lord jesus christ the bible says da, 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 and, and they say oh come on you don't believe that do you well okay they're, they're being antagonistic but that's what my eardrum hears. My brain hears something very different. My brain hears, oh, right, they're asking a question. They want to chat. And so I like to do that if I can. So if you can engage them in conversation, so you're asking them questions and they're coming back, that's great. But if not, keep talking. They will eventually ask a question, we hope, and then we can develop that. I love the the idea of Ruth. Ruth. I think it's chapter 2, verse 17, where we read that she gleaned in the harvest fields. Now, I'm not a reaper in the sense that, say, Billy Graham is a reaper or was a reaper. You know, you, you go and preaching and hundreds, profess to trust the Lord. For me, it's one here, two there, a few there, etc. If that, it's become very hard in recent days. But a reaper stoops for all she gets. She has to... Uh, Sorry, a gleaner stoops for all she gets. She has to glean with her eyes open, and um, once she's she's got some grain, some corn, some wheat, she's as careful to retain it as she is to obtain it, because every little bit helps to make a bundle, doesn't it? so don't despise your work if you're just speaking to one here another one there a few relatives a colleague a neighbor somebody you bump into into the street regularly don't despise that that is incredibly valuable work we we want reapers yes but we want gleaners too so we we, we, the seed we sell must be the right seed and we need to scatter it thirdly we need to water it and wait for the seed to come forth now in a moment i'd like to ask theo fox um, a question or two because he's a good example of somebody who not only has scattered seed but has been very patient and waited etc so theo i hope that we can see you and hear you have we got Theo? yes we have good to see you um theo where, where do you live and miriam it's great to see you both where do you live
1: we live at a, a little country town called Burrowley Marsh, which is just outside Skegness in Lincolnshire, at the top of the wash.
0: Now they say about Skegness the wind doesn't blow round you; it blows straight through you. Is that true it 's absolute. I can vouch for that. <laughs> Now, Theo, um, you're a very, very good friend of mine. And I've loved, I've had the privilege just on a couple of occasions joining you to do something which you have done, not just on a couple of occasions, but all through British summertime for the last 25 plus
1: years. What do you do? Um, In a word, have fun. (laughs) Um, I go out with a homemade fairground organ. It's fairly large and fairly loud. I'm this is playing. one of
0: those where they've got cymbals and drums and, and, and puppets doing all this sort of work. They're playing music. Yes, that's
1: right. Yes. Yes. Um, I think before you can start to talk about Jesus, which I have a passion for doing and I can't bear the thought of anyone being eternally lost. So I go out with this organ with happy music. And you can see people approaching. Sometimes, although they're on holiday, they're, you can tell they're at war or not happy. But as they come to the happy music, their whole demeanour changes. And so then you're uh, able to give them a gospel tract and talk about Jesus with um, a very low chance of getting a bunch of five. <laughs> now, how many years have you done this? I started open air work in um, 1982 but i've been doing the uh with the organ that i built for about 20 years amazing now how many tracks on i know you do it on sunday afternoon because that's the
0: time when most people air well it's almost lunchtime through through the afternoon you get hundreds of course of holidaymakers going through you right right where they walk how many tracks on an average sunday afternoon would you be able to give away
1: well, on, on a bad day, when the weather's not too good, you don't do so well. So it might be four or six hundred. But on a good day in the season, we can uh, give away quite easily, although it's hard work physically, between eighteen and nineteen hundred tracks in six hours. That's wonderful. And because you've, as it
0: were, given them something with the music, they're willing to receive this. Do you have conversations about
1: Christ? Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, the thing I find is, uh, very often, um, if you start with something like, do you realise that Jesus actually loves the socks off you? You can <laughs> see their eyes change and they want to know more.
0: Yes, you obviously use a paraphrase rather than a translation of the Bible. And you sometimes pray with
1: people? Yes, indeed we do. It's amazing some of the things we're asked to pray about, to be honest with you. It's amazing yes. how some people open up.
0: And you said you've seen people, sometimes you've heard later on that they've been healed. You've prayed for that and, and yes. others come back and talk about the Lord, etc.
1: Oh, yes. I, I think it's the, the most enjoyable job in the church is street work. And um, uh, it, it's lovely. The strange thing is people want actually to hear about Jesus. And there is a small percentage of people who want to be saved. Amen. Amen.
0: Well, Theo, I love what you do, and uh, the Lord bless you. I'm going to come back to my—I ought to hurry on, but my talk—and—and um, and, uh, but we'll we'll have questions soon. So, the third okay. point I want to make then is to wait and uh, water the seed. I yesterday planted some vegetable seeds. I have no green fingers, and my natural desire is to see them producing Brussels sprouts within a day or two. It doesn't work like that, does it? I and mean, in evangelism, impatience is a big mistake. How God's work is done is beyond our understanding. Now, you get that very clearly in in this parable. You know, he scatters the seed on the ground. He sleeps by night and rises by day. The seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, he immediately puts in the sickle. How God's work is done, yeah, we don't fully understand. And I'm always wary of people who want to try and put God into a box and have a system about how he works. he It's beyond us. We do know that we are to prayerfully go out and scatter gospel seed. And then we pray that the Lord will do something very, very special. I love the illustration of ezekiel this wonderfully maverick prophet in the old testament do you remember um, in chapter 37 he's taken to a valley of dry bones and he looks in front of him and beside and behind him and everywhere he looks there are dead dry decaying bones and then god speaks to him son of man ezekiel can these dry bones live it's a great question and what would you say to to almighty god if he asked you that you're going to say yes But he didn't look like it. But he is God. You're going to say no. So Ezekiel was very wise. And he said, Lord, you know. And then God says to him, son of man, speak, preach to the bones. And he started to preach to dead, dry, decaying bones. Now, if you don't know what that feels like, you ask your minister or pastor or vicar. I'm sure he's felt that he's preaching to dead, dry decaying bones at times. But as Ezekiel spoke, the, the bones start to move. They begin to rattle and bone comes together to bone, doesn't it? The foot bone joins to the ankle, bone the ankle, bone to the leg, but you know the song. And suddenly he's surrounded by a mighty army of Skeletons. So he just keeps preaching. And then the skeletons are covered with with muscles and tendons and skin. And now there's an army of corpses. And then the Lord says, Ezekiel, speak to the wind, the breath, the spirit and the wind, the breath, the spirit comes and transforms that army of corpses into a mighty living army. Now. It's, it's about the nation of Israel and we know that because it goes on to say that. But there is, there's a principle here and I'd love us to get it. The word of God, which Ezekiel proclaimed, plus the spirit of God equals new life or new birth. So we proclaim Christ and then we pray that God by his spirit might water the word that we've scattered and New life, new birth. That's what we're longing for. I've told the story many times of a friend of mine, David Sharp. We talked together for eight years in one of the schools I was at. He was an atheist, but we became really good friends, he and his wife. And uh, my wife and he, we used to go out for meals together. We got him to various evangelistic events, but he was an atheist. Eventually, I moved on to another school, but we kept in touch. We still used to meet for meals, and uh, but he was an atheist. <laughs> For 27 years, we were like this. And we met once for a meal together in Brighouse. And my wife actually said, David, our church is starting something called Christianity Explored. I think you'd really enjoy it. And she explained what it was. And he just said, well, can I bring Katie? And Dot and I looked at each other and said, yes, you can bring Katie. So the next week, David, with his wife Margaret and their little Scottish terrier, called Katie, arrived at Christianity Explored. It's the only dog that's done the course, I think. And um, the first week he had his head down all the time. And I thought, oh, he'll not come back. But he did. And the second week his his head lifted up and he got in, you know, involved, engaged in it all. And he really enjoyed it. Now, I wasn't really able to continue with the group because I was out and about. But the group continued as a sort of friendship group. And David and Margaret continued with it. And eventually he phoned me up and said, Roger, can you get me a Bible, please? And I sent him a Bible. Three or four months later, he phoned me up and he said, "Um, Roger, I've read read the Bible. And I said, good, where have you been reading? And he said, no, 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 I've read it all from Genesis to Revelation. And then he said, but he still was an atheist. (laughs) Then he said, I've heard you talk about Bible commentaries. Can you get me a Bible commentary? So I got him the new bible commentary 1600 pages a double columned and um, do you know four months later he phoned me up and said roger i've read it i said david you don't read commentaries they're just there to put on your shelf to impress your minister but he had read every word and he was warming to things and do you know after 28 years of friendship david trusted the lord when he was baptized (laughs) i gave him as a gift Grudem's systematic theology and he phoned me up a few weeks later and said roger my wife and i every night before we go to sleep we sit up in bed and we read a chapter of Grudem's systematic theology together well that would send you to sleep if anything would but but said, 28 years now we can't spend that long with everybody but we we ask lord will you lay people on my heart and maybe they are the people we're going to text or email or write to or phone up that we've allowed to drift. But actually, coronavirus gives us the opportunity to make contact with them. Maybe we're concerned from our, for our grandparents, but actually a phone call now to them would be really appreciated. And we might just be able to talk about the Lord. On the other hand, we may be concerned about our grandchildren. The number of parents that are grieving over their prodigal children and grandparents over their prodigal children or grandchildren. Well, this is a wonderful opportunity to write, to engage and say, look, when it's all over, can we meet up for a meal? Let's celebrate somewhere. And, and be intentional about it, seeking to speak about the gospel. Now, we are to be kind. We're, we're not to ram something down people's throat. We very tenderly plant that seed, don't we? And we water it. Very, very carefully. We don't just <laughs> shove a bucket load of water on it. We, we're gentle with it. Be kind. You do not know what battles people are fighting. It's an old adage, but it's very, very true. And it came home very clearly to me. About four, five, six years ago, I was speaking at a Young Life camp in brecon it was a sports camp i don't know anything about sport but anyway 250 teenagers there and young life really were doing a tremendous thing i think camps these days obviously i'm committed to yorkshire camps now but uh, camps these days are one of the most effective ways of reaching young people but i was speaking there wednesday evening a young guy who's 15 called joda came and talked with me and as he began chatting he started crying and i said "Oh, Jonah what, what's the trouble This is what he said. He looked at me and he just said, oh, Roger. He said, 11 years ago, you buried my dad. And suddenly I realized who he was. And I said, are you Jonah? I mentioned his son. He said, yes. I said, oh, wow, I did. He said, Roger, I just miss my dad so much and I can't remember anything about him. So I said, well, Jonah, let me tell you, he was one of the loveliest Christians I ever knew. And he'd be so thrilled that you're here today. We began to talk. But I learned that lesson. Be kind. I didn't know he was in that crowd of teenagers. We have the Holy Spirit who works when we speak, but conscience is the evangelist's ally. So when we speak, another voice whispers, I'm convinced in people's hearts and minds, do you know what he she is saying is Right. The um, hospital chaplain in Leeds for 27 years, he was the hospital chaplain. And he told me once that he was visiting a dying Christian man and he went day by day. But in the bed next to him was a man who didn't believe. But every day he went to him after he'd been to the Christians and said, anything I can do for you? And the man said, no. And next day, anything I can do? No. And the next day, he kept doing it. No. Then one day he went to him and said, anything I can do for you? No, but I wish there were some things you could undo for me. Right. Everybody knows that they have the problem of sin and the fear of death. And those two things are the only things that Christian has the answer to. No other religion, no other philosophy or idea has the answer to these things. And it's only the Bible believing Christian. I think it's significant that so many of the church leaders have been totally silent As far as helping the nation spiritually, it's because they've nothing to say. And we haven't heard much from Richard Dawkins about it, have we? Or David Attenborough or Philip Schofield or Piers Morgan. They're they're not giving any comfort because they can't. Only the believer has the answer to the problem of, of sin and death. Remember as well, we're not out to win an argument, but we are out to reach individuals to win a soul for christ now i want to say one last thing and then we'll have some questions and i'll be quick with this one but it's here in the parable as well fourthly we are to harvest and then hoard the seed we need spiritual wisdom to know when is the right moment to say to this person look would you would you trust the lord jesus would you pray with me now I think we're all well aware of evangelistic youth meetings and so-called evangelistic ministries that say we went to such and such a place and 150 people were converted and you never see them again. They're, they're not being wise, spiritual midwives. Verse 29. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. You, you don't put in the sickle until the grain is ripe and you need wisdom. Uh, to know when that moment is and when that moment comes we don't if i can quote the television program i've never seen we don't have to call the midwife we need to be able to lead somebody to the lord jesus christ we 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 need that winsomeness that doesn't force anybody but boldness that says do you know you really do need to get right with god and i would urge you to ask jesus christ to forgive you and take over your life and by His spirit come and be lord and saviour to lead a soul to Christ is a wonderful privilege. It's interesting, a year ago, my motto was, a sower went forth to sow. And it's a good motto. But then I thought the next year, no, no, I've got a better one. I will make you fishers of men. And I don't know about you, but I long to be an effective fisher of men. Don't you? To to to, to have the ability from God to be able to put in the sickle. And i I don't believe that this period of time when suddenly open air evangelism is made much more difficult. Church meetings ceased. It's not easy when I go walking. though. I had a wonderful conversation two days ago at a few meters difference, but it's not easy to get into conversation with people as I just bump into them as normally I'd find. Nevertheless, I'm praying that, Lord, during the coronavirus pandemic, there might be a harvest of people who are genuinely converted. We need that sense of expectation, that sense that says, Lord, would you use me to win somebody for the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and, and Lord, would you do it today? Some of you are much more technique savvy than I am. You, you might be just able to bring your family together in a Zoom sort of family time um i was talking to a church that regularly has evangelistic meals well of course they can't do it now so what they're planning they said roger would i be able to to speak if they did this uh they're going to have a pizza evening and they're going to deliver uncooked pizzas to everybody who's as it were coming to the meal and then while they're eating they'll have the zoom going so people can chat and then it'll be over to me to to give a little evangelistic word what what a clever idea some of you might have a quiz night with a few folks, but then just say something. I, I don't know. There needs to be sort of creativity and imagination that says this cause of proclaiming Christ really is the most urgent, wonderful thing in the world. Now, what can I do? And let's remember, we're living in a very secular age and... Um, Yeah, it it can hurt at times because we see so much blatant sin and antagonism to the things of God, so much blasphemy and immorality, etc. But there is a principle. I know it applies to the individual believer. There is a principle, though, that where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And I think one of the things that J.C. Ryle in this little booklet brings out is that, well, sin was really abounding in the early 18th century. But then grace abounded much more. Shouldn't, shouldn't that happen today as well? Could the Lord not use us to win some very wayward person to Christ? Uh, I love the hymn, Facing a Task Unfinished. And um, usually in one of our Association of Evangelist meetings, we would sing it. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to sing to you. But my favourite hymn uh, is a different one. It's found again in the Young Life hymn book, but it's it's not got a great tune, and I've never been able to find anybody to make another tune that's better for it. It's a very irregular sort of rhythm. Uh but the words are are phenomenal. And I'd like to end my little section before we go on to questions, etc., by by reading the hymn. So concentrate, because you need to concentrate with hymns. And um I trust it'll be a blessing. And then at the very end I'll I'll read the chorus as well. With a soul blood bought and a heart aglow, redeemed of the Lord and free. I ask as I pass down the busy street, okay, pre-coronavirus time, I ask as I pass down the busy street, is it only a crowd I see? Do I lift my eyes with a careless gaze that pierces no deep down woe? Have I naught to give to the teeming throng of the wealth of the love I, I know? And then as I read in the gospel story oft of the Christ who this earth once trod, I fancy I see his look on the crowd, that look of the Son of God. He saw not a number in might and strength, but a shepherdless flock distressed. And the sight of those wearied, fainting sheep brought grief to his loving breast. And I'll make the third verse in the chorus our final prayer before we have the question time. So to pray now. Dear Lord, I ask for the eyes that see deep down to the world's sore need. I ask for a love that holds not back, but pours out itself indeed. I want the passionate power of prayer that yearns for the great crowd's soul. I want to go amongst the fainting sheep and tell them my Lord makes whole. And the chorus, let me look at the crowd as my Saviour did, till my eyes with tears grow dim. Let me look till I pity the wandering sheep and love them
2: for love of him. Amen. 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 Well, thank you very much, uh, Roger. Is anybody still there listening or has everybody switched off? Oh, I think they're all here. Give us a wave, everyone. Yeah, I think we're um, uh, yeah, very thankful, Roger, that you didn't sing to us. Um, but we're very challenged um, with the uh, message that you brought to us. Um, that hymn that you quoted, what we'll do, we'll send that out on the email. Many, Some of you will be familiar with it, but we'll send those words out uh, to you on the email one of the things Roger says that it's um, reminded us that we're the only ones with the answer, and um, yeah, that's challenging for us, isn't it, as to uh, sharing the gospel with others. Well, there is an opportunity for questions. We do have some uh, in, so let's uh, turn Roger back on. let's bring Janice in as well, uh, and uh, Janice is going to bring us some of those questions, so she'll bring us the questions and then be over to Roger to answer. Hi, Janice. come on.
3: Hi, Dave. Hi, Roger. Thanks very much for that. Um, We have got quite a lot of questions, so I'll sort of steam through them. And if you can keep your answers (laughs) to the point as possible. Um, Let's start with initiating face to face conversations. Somebody said uh, his main fear. Is initiated a conversation with people he doesn't know very well, and that's made even harder when he intends to speak the gospel, even when he knows the person. How do you initiate a conversation?
0: Yeah, one or two things. I think it's easier if you live in the north of England because people do talk to each other, and I really think that's a problem in the south. You know, they sit stand next to each other and busk you and don't chat, whereas we would talk, so it makes it a little bit easier. Um, I think um, I, I think the phrase just talk, talk about anything, everything. Um, if if you can, you know, you're in a bus queue, just chat. Uh, The weather, the, I don't know what's going on, um, happening in politics, NHS, anything. But then without uh, appearing to be over the top, I just naturally try to bring in Christian things. So I I have various lines. Oh, it's interesting you say that. Do you know, I was in church on Sunday. I don't know whether you go to church, but I love our church. And, And our vicar, our minister said, and I might quote John 3.16 or something. Or another one. Do you know, it's interesting you say that. I, I was reading the Bible the other I don't know whether you read the Bible. I love to read a little bit of the Bible every day. And I read something Jesus said. He said, for God so loved the world. So I use that sort of thing. But though that's a sort of um, prepared line, as much as possible, I try to be spontaneous as well. If, if in the end I get nowhere, I use tracks. I don't call them tracks, but I a Christian leaflet as the key to open the door of conversation. So we've been on a bus. They're about to get one bus or get off the bus or something like that. I might just say, look, before you go, can I just give you it's a little Christian leaflet, just the ordinary Christian message. But I think you'd really enjoy it. Lovely to chat with you, but I think you'd enjoy this. And, you know, ideally, I'd love to use that to try and open up the conversation. But if I've got nowhere, I might in a cheeky, Share sort of way. Try and offer one. So don't be intimidating, um, but just be friendly.
3: Um, three questions on the same sort of theme about being too intentional. Yeah. Um, fear of people thinking, oh, here comes preaching at me again. And one guy says, sometimes I think I've shared the gospel with someone so much they've become bored with it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's a real issue. And um, it it, I didn't develop it as I would have liked to have done. But um, there is a difference between those who are friends and neighbours and those we'll never see again. So I think with our friends and neighbours, relatives, etc., we really do have to wait for the right moment. And usually that moment is one to one. If it's one to a group there's a sort of reaction, Then they're embarrassed. But one-to-one, I find they, they often open up more. And I think just to pray, Lord, for the right moment and to be sensitive. And this balance between not pushing it and yet not being over the top is a difficult one, I know. And I think if I'm reticent on any way, it's that I'm fearful of being over the top and I don't want to be, I don't want to put people off. But I am also conscious they need to trust Christ. But if we've talked many times or a few times and they, 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 clearly are not showing any interest. Just hold back for a while. Just be a friend and, and wait for the right moment. And, uh, and pray for the right moment as well. Yes, that the Lord will create it. Sorry, Jones. Oh,
3: sorry. Um, similar venue, Would you expect a shy person, um, to be sharing the gospel in a different way to a more extrovert
0: person? The, the, do you know, it's a lovely thing that the Lord has different ministries, etc., for all of us. Um, I read a book, an old book, I wonder if I've got it there, uh, anyway, by yesterday, by James McDuff. I don't know anything about Macduff, but I love his books. And he said, why didn't Jesus choose Lazarus to be one of his 12 disciples? And then he said, "Do you know, the Lord has different roles for different people. Some people are just called to suffer for the glory of God and other people, etc. So, yes, you are not to be like me and I'm not to be like you. And Phillips Brooks defines preaching as truth through personality, and that's true of witnessing as well. So you've got to be true to yourself whilst recognising there is this wonderful message that's urgent. Sometimes a person who's most diffident actually carries most weight, as it were, because people know it's not easy for you to share. But um, uh, but that can be very, very powerful. So be true to yourself. But if shyness is becoming an issue, ask the Lord to overcome the fearfulness about witnessing in your life and then take steps to 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 help him answer that prayer
3: um one question that i know is close to your heart how can a church recognize and fan into flame the gifting of those who would be evangelists
0: yes i I think it's a real problem because um an evangelist sometimes is seen as by being rather youthful or immature or overzealous and um The older Christian can be a little bit put off by that, but I don't think they should be. I think the church should be on the lookout for them um, and then seeking to encourage them. The problem is they then go to Bible college and they end up as theologians or they're shunted into Bible teaching. Now, we need Bible teachers. We need good theologians as well. Uh, Not as many as we've got, but we need them. And um, we they're sort of shifted into another area. The reason is evangelists are not lecturing in bible colleges evangelists are evangelizing so it's bible teachers and theologians who are trying to teach evangelism but it doesn't work and so i I think there are many many ministers who are square pegs in round holes because their real heart is for evangelism but i think we need to identify them pray for them identify them encourage them and then use them and if a church then does uh, appoint an evangelist don't bog them down with administration and pastoral responsibilities. Let them be set free to evangelize and, according to Ephesians chapter 4, encourage others. Ephesians chapter 2, rather, encourage others in the work of evangelism as, as, as well. So they, they minister by getting others becoming evangelistic. Really, the whole book and some evangelists is, is about churches appointing evangelists and about the work of the evangelists.
3: Um, I've got one more question, then we'll go on to the frequently asked questions that people are asked in. Um, In in my church, it's the men who read and share the gospel and the women do the children and youth work. Can women spread the
0: gospel in the streets? Oh, absolutely. I think actually women are much, much better at sharing the gospel than than men. So it's interesting. Um, They're better. They're better at making friendships, I think. And therefore, they're better at drawing in a crowd of of ladies. I I long for there to be um, women evangelists. Their role might be slightly different from a male evangelist, but we need a whole variety of them. So very, very much so. Think of the woman at the well and... um, she she met with the Lord Jesus, she runs to Samaria, she went to the men, it says, and said, come see a man who told me all that ever I did, is not this the Christ? Um, So, oh, very much so, yes. The um, top three questions. For me, I would say suffering, is that the one? Right, yes, yes. Why doesn't God stop the suffering? Yeah, it's a big one. And of course, there are many sort of answers to that there needs to be sensitivity and again you go back to trevor knight's thought is this a red herring or a real hindrance if somebody's really been through it we've got to deal with it very differently from somebody who's just asking an academic throwaway question um and um um, sometimes sometimes suffering can be caused by sin but other times no who has sinned this man or his parents no no it said jesus it's not the sin of either of them but god is going to be glorified sometimes um uh, there's immense suffering and we just have to say wow I, i have no explanation from this at all so i often then go to deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 it's the last verse of deuteronomy 29 um The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children that we may learn to do all the works of the Lord. So there are certain things revealed about God that we do know. And then there are other things that are secret that we don't know. Why has this little baby died? But this one who apparently was going to die didn't die. Why? I don't know. But I do believe in a God who's loving, who's caring, etc. And then I would always go to and you know, God has allowed himself to suffer immensely. Uh, and I'd go to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we can't be glib in giving answers. We know that there was no suffering until there was that first rebellion and sin and suffering and death entered the world. But that doesn't mean that we, you know, somebody's going through a tough time. They must have been worse than somebody else interesting when the tower of so light siloam collapsed and jesus was asked about it the people going to galilee uh from galilee down to jerusalem were martyred by pilate and jesus was asked about this in luke 13 and uh jesus said um, he said the real issue is you need to repent and um uh unless something worse happen to you and 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 yeah we, we always we may not be able to answer all the questions. But we can at least say there is somebody who knows, and we can cast ourselves and our suffering and our concerns about him.
3: Another question: Don't all roads lead to God in the end?
0: The answer is yes, they do. All religions lead to God. Don't switch off. <laughs> Another heretic, honestly. Uh, VJ Menon came up to me after I'd preached. He was a converted Hindu. And uh, he's about my height, which is rather nice. And he, he put his arm around me and he just said, Roger, you do know, don't you, that all religions lead to God? I said, go on, because it was him. And I thought, there's some trick here. Do you know he helped me so much? He said, Roger, they all lead to God. The only thing is all other religions, even atheism, is leading God, leading people to God on the throne of judgment. Only Christ leads us to God on the throne of grace. And then he said, John 146 a we often quote, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But the second part is, no one comes to the Father but by me. The only way we can meet God as Father is through the Lord Jesus. So yes, every individual, every religion is leading to God. The issue is, do we meet him as our judge or as our welcoming Father?
3: Why should I think about becoming a Christian when Christians
0: have just let me down so much? Well, Christianity is not about trusting other Christians. And to be honest, we we let each other down. We let ourselves down. But it's a bit like saying, why should I go to hospital when there are so many sick people there? Well, that is a good question these days. (laughs) But in normal circumstances, well, you go there because you are sick. Why do you become a Christian when Christians have messed up and done wrong and let you down? Well, all we are are sinners who need a savior. And I know this. Christians may let you down. I hope I never will. But I may. But I'll tell you this. The Lord Jesus
2: Christ will never let anybody down i think um time is drawn to a close but let's have one more question janice have you got another one for us okay it's so, a
3: um, question uh, are you unmuting me I, yep, I'm you.
2: thank you <laughs> um
3: the question going back to the beginning of what you said what's the relationship then between apologetics and evangelism or what's the difference um is apologi- is apologetics a means to better proclaim and communicate the gospel Oh, yeah,
0: I'm not against apologetics at all. And um, um, we need to be able to explain the gospel. I have to say the defense that's often given for apologetics is from one Peter. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. But I do think they're taking that verse out of context because the, the reason for the hope is not that Josh mcdowell or J N D. d anderson or or william craig has given a good answer the the hope the reason for the hope is that jesus lived and died and rose again that's the reason it's not the apologetic but we yeah we need to know why we believe what we believe but if that's all we preach there's no power in it there's tremendous evidence for the resurrection and to go through that is a great thing but why did jesus die in the first place and why did he rise again and what implication does that have for us so by all means have apologetics but you must 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 explain the gospel as well those four things from luke 24 that he suffered for our sin he rose from the dead there needs to be repentance and forgiveness of sins they are crucial for every message i wouldn't want To somebody to have only ever heard one Christian message and all it was doing is giving a reason for our belief without explaining what we believe. And sadly, I think that's what's happening these days. And in some ways, it's, it's a less costly thing to do that because the rub, the offense comes when the gospel and the cross is explained.
2: Good. Well, thank you very much, Roger. I think that's a, a really good note to finish uh, off on tonight. Uh, thank you, Roger, for speaking to us. Thank you for all that you've shared. Um, thank you to everyone else who's joined us this evening as well. It's been really good to have you with us. Uh, do come back again next week. Um, we'll send out a new invitation at same time, same place. Um, and um, Michael Ox will be speaking to us on Jesus for skeptics. So.